You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Barbara McGinnis and Chris Johnson, along with other members of the Tagus McGinnis Elder Care Law Team, talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm Barbara McGinnis, partner and certified elder law attorney at Tagus McGinnis Elder Care Law. Today, we're talking about taxes and estate planning. Joining us for the conversation is David Heller, attorney and partner at Martin Heller, Potempa and Shepherd. Welcome, David. Barbara, thank you for having me. Who needs to think about estate planning for tax purposes now? You know, that's an interesting question. You know, of course, we're talking about people who have a certain level of wealth where the exemption amount is, they their wealth exceeds the exemption amount. And that exemption amount changes almost every year. Uh, it's currently very high. It's about $13,610,000. But we anticipate that might get cut in half in a couple years when the calendar flips from 2025 to 2026, that may get cut in half. So we're talking to people who not only have wealth that exceeds that amount, but maybe they're over the new amount we anticipate, even though they're not over the existing 13 million, to kind of be proactive and get ahead of it. So those are the people who really need to be thinking about, especially estate taxes. All right. So that does increase, you know, the pool of people uh, a bit, especially with real estate in Middle Tennessee being so valuable now. Um, So that's part of the taxable estate, right? Yes. And um, primarily, so single, a single person with that sort of wealth versus a married person, um, a married person, we still have that portability election, right? We do. And, and yeah. explain that a little bit. So um, it used to be uh, a situation where you might have, you know, someone might have heard of something called the credit shelter trust. And what you had to do when a first of the married couple dies is you would have to carve off the whatever the maximum amount that they could hold that year, uh, past that year free of estate tax. And you would have to set it aside in a trust to make sure you got the maximum between the husband and wife. Because if you didn't, everything would pass to the spouse and you have what's called a marital, an unlimited marital deduction. And so if you didn't carve off this portion ahead of time, you would effectively lose it later when the second spouse dies. Now they have this thing called portability which means that even if you don't carve it off, the surviving spouse can still go back later when they pass away and utilize that exclusion. There are certain rules that you have to be careful about, especially if the survivor remarries. But yes, there is this portability, so you're not forced to create these trusts when the first one dies. Well, 
uh, that's really interesting information and so, so important because even we see a good number of people come in with old estate planning documents that still have these uh, credit shelter trusts and trying to explain to them what their options are. It's, it starts sounding like a foreign language sometimes. Well, you know, we actually still often go ahead and use that because especially if you've got a client that is at or already over the exemption amount, if mm-hmm. we do go ahead and carve it off, then those the growth of those assets, so maybe the survivor doesn't die for another 10 or 15 years, if we go ahead and carve it off, all that growth will still be outside the survivor's taxable estate because we've already carved it off. So there are situations where we still might go ahead and do that um, rather than just use the exemption later on. Because if those assets double in size over the next 10, 15 years, you're still only limited to what the exemption was back then and that extra growth would not be covered. Gotcha. Okay, so that makes sense. Would I, um, what, what would be some of your options if you, if you were in that position? Would a uh, community property trust be an option? Well, so let's, if I, if I may, let me go back of to course. something you kind of mentioned earlier. And, you know, you mentioned taxes and everyone thinks about estate taxes. But, you know, there are other tax considerations when someone passes away other than estate tax. And, and you've kind of brought up one of the main ones is the community property trust. So normally with a married couple, you get what's called a step up in basis. Whenever, when you receive something by way of inheritance, all the untaxed capital gain evaporates. So if my dad bought something at 10 and he held on to it for a while and it goes up to 50, he passes away. I inherit that asset when it's worth 50. I hold on to it for a bit. It goes to 60. I then sell it. My gain is only 10. Because I received it by way of inheritance, all that untaxed capital gain, that 10 to 50 that accumulated during my dad's lifetime, that evaporates, that passes away. That's how it normally works. But Tennessee, being one of the states that has some of the most advanced trust laws in the country, we have many types of trusts that other states don't have. One of them is the community property trust that you just mentioned. And that will give a married couple an extra tax benefit by getting rid of all the capital gain when the first one dies, not just the not just half the capital gain. So that can be very beneficial to the survivor who might need to sell some assets for their own care later on. They would not have to pay the capital gains tax on a portion of this. The other you know, in tax that we think about is, is income tax somewhat. And this is especially concerned with uh, retirement accounts. And people don't understand that when you inherit a retirement account, there isn't necessarily a tax on that. But as the money comes out of, an, of a retirement account, then they have to declare it as uh, ordinary income. And that's just because when the money went in, it was all going in income tax-free. So whenever the money comes out of of a retirement account to whomever, 
the decedent, you know, the person before he passed away or later beneficiaries, it's all going to be ordinary income. So when we are, you know, dealing with an estate and doing a plan, it's a combination of looking at the estate tax, looking at the capital gain situation, but also making sure we have a feeling for the income tax that might be coming out when the retirement money is distributed. So what are some of the strategies that somebody could use to help protect against, say, the re, you know, the ordinary income in retirement accounts? Yeah, so there's very little you can do to minimize uh, the money coming out of the retirement account. The, you know, the thing that we can do that we have most ability to minimize taxes is with the estate tax. And so, again, if someone has enough wealth that we're concerned about the estate tax, there's really two or three main um, techniques that we can use. Number one is we look at their life insurance. Everyone is told that life insurance is tax-free. That's not exactly true. Life insurance is income tax-free to the recipient. So if one person dies and the beneficiary receives the distribution of the life insurance proceeds, that will not be income tax to them. They don't have to report that on their 1040. But to the decedent, that is part of their taxable estate. And it doesn't matter what type of policy, whether it's a term or whole life or variable. If the payout is a million dollars, then that's going to be an extra million dollars added onto their estate. So if someone already has enough wealth that they are going to have a taxable estate, then basically, and they also have a life insurance policy, then they basically have made the U.S. government, the IRS, a 40% beneficiary to their insurance policy. So there's a special trust called an irrevocable life insurance trust. And what the client would do is they would create this trust, transfer the policy into the trust, and later when they pass, the policy would pay out not to the individual, but to the trust, and then the money would not be included in the estate. So number one, we look at life insurance and and to get rid of the tax on that. Mm -hmm. Two other ways that we often will techniques that we were used to minimize estate tax is something called discounting. So this is being able to convince the government that you have, you know, your assets are worth less than they really are without lying. Of course, you know, everything is, you know, above board and it works like this. Let's say I have a business that's worth a million dollars and I'm going to sell you 30%. Well, how much are you going to pay fair market value for 30% interest in my business? Well, in a linear mathematical calculation, that would be $300,000. But is that really fair market value? And that's what the IRS has to use when they evaluate assets for tax uh, calculations, the fair market value. Because remember, I'm going to own 70%. I will outvote you every single time. And I'm going to put a restriction on your 30%. You can't transfer it. So we can create these structures that can generate what we would call a discount. You wouldn't pay maybe $300,000. You might pay... 20% less or 30% less. So we can do something to reduce the value of an asset. That's one of the two main ways that we can minimize estate tax. 
The other, which is actually more powerful, is doing an estate freeze. And that is basically we can transfer the asset out to a trust and the trust is designed. It's still there for the family, for you know family members, but it's designed in a way that it will not be included on your tax return. And so in a way we have frozen the value based on that transfer value. So all the future growth that occurs on this asset in the trust is not included in the estate. So if someone had a building, let's say, and they are worth a million dollars, they transferred it to the trust, they lived another 15 years, the value of that building grew to $3 million. That growth, that extra $2 million that occurred inside this special type of trust would not be part of their taxable estate and would pass to the family free of any estate tax. Okay. So can you think of, and you extol the virtues of these various strategies. What are some of the cons of these types of trusts? Okay. That's a, that's a great point because you do, there are, you know, it's, you don't get your cake and eat it too, you know, so to speak. So um, these trusts are what we would consider irrevocable trusts. And in order to be outside of your taxable estate, you're going to have to give up some level of control. You're going to have to give up some level of access. So, for instance, I could set up a trust. So a trust has three main people involved. The grantor who creates the trust, the trustee who's in charge of the trust, and then the beneficiaries who get the benefit of what's in the trust. So if I want to transfer an asset outside of my estate, into a trust for my family, I would be the grantor creating the trust and then transferring the asset in, but I couldn't be trustee. Someone else would have to be trustee, but that could be my wife. And I can't be trustee because if I was, then the IRS would say, well, you haven't given that away. You still control it as trustee and it would still be considered part of my estate. So I would be the grantor. Someone, my wife could be trustee. And then my wife and my children could be the beneficiaries. Again, I could not be the beneficiary of the trust because, again, the IRS IRS would say, well, David, you haven't given that away. You still get to use it. You know, the money that gets generated still can come out to you. So there is a level of control and access that you're going to have to give up to do this. Now, oftentimes, especially with married couples, a husband might create a trust that the wife is the trustee and then the wife and the kids are beneficiaries and wife would create a similar trust where husband is the trustee and husband and children are beneficiaries. So between the two of them, they can get all the assets covered and still, again, as a couple, still have access to everything and uh, control of everything. But again, there is a limit that you will have to give up some level of control and access in order for this to work. Well, I would imagine a lot of people don't like giving up control. I I do see that here. Yes. And and so one of the ways we try to mitigate that is if, for instance, let's say there's a, again, we'll use the example of a building. Instead of putting the building into the trust, we might create an LLC, put the building into the LLC, 
and then move the LLC into the trust, I could still be the manager of that LLC. So I could still be in charge of, you know, the, uh, you know, the renting of the building out, or I can be in charge. I could sell the building, you know, as part of the LLC and then have the money come in and invest it a different way. So there are ways for me to still have a level of control, but it's not going to be a hundred percent over everything. And yes, that is a concern, especially when we deal with people who are not married, they're single. They might have to have a child, a trusted child or a trusted advisor, attorney, accountant to step Mm -hmm. in and do that. Does your firm ever serve as trustee? Just out of curiosity. Um, We don't. Sounds like um, the fire department's going values. Um, Do we serve as trustee? Um, The firm doesn't, but individual attorneys will I have. And, you know, some other of my partners have been trustees on on individual trusts, but the firm as an organization does not. All right. So um, your firm is in the Nashville, in Nashville. I'm sure people travel from all over Tennessee to to see you or one of your uh, partners. But what if somebody was not able to get to you? How would they go about finding the right type of attorney who does this complex estate planning? So you, you're, you, you kind of hit it on the head. This is not the kind of planning. If you go to see an attorney and they say, well, that sounds like a great idea. I've never done that before, but you know, let's give it a try. That's probably not the attorney you want to use. You right. want someone who is experienced in this. And you can usually get some names from maybe other attorneys in the area or uh, CPAs. Um, they often will recommend uh, attorneys or anyone in the financial area. Bankers uh, can give good recommendations, uh, insurance people, financial planners, people who deal with clients that have this level of wealth will often have uh, good recommendations of who is qualified and experienced to do this type of planning. Makes sense to me. All right. So David, is there anything else that you, that you want to talk about or something that we haven't mentioned that you feel like you should? No, I think that covers it. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. So that's it for today's episode. Take us McGinnis Elder Care Law is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Take Us McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.